a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Welcome back to Starlight Beacon, a Star Wars High Republic podcast. This is Gary, and as always, I'm joined by the Rudy Librarian himself, Brian. Hello, Brian. Hello. Hello. How are you? Super, super de duper. Oh, just to get it right off the bat, I'll get it out of the way immediately. I know it's been a while, everybody's, everybody's, everybody, but uh, Monster Squad is still better than Goonies. So, have to apologize. Like, I didn't even let Brian get a, a, a say in there. I just kept kept going. Kept going. Have to apologize. We know it's been a, a bit since our last episode. Uh, life gets in the way sometimes. But we are back. We're excited to talk about some more High Republic stuff. We got a great comic book. Today, we're going to be talking about Marvel Issue 3. Brian, what's going on with you? Like, in general? Or... Just in, yeah, just general. Well... As a teacher, my school is on spring break starting tomorrow, nice. so uh, I'm excited about that. A little little time to catch up on grading and do a little reading and f- hanging out with the family and that kind of stuff. We're dog sitting right now, so we've got two big old dogs running around the house, uh, both <laughs> very cute though. And uh, that's mostly it. Just a, just a lot of a uh, lo- lot of little things. A lot of lot of catching up on stuff. Spring break sounds awesome. It is. That's all I have to say about that. Spring break sounds awesome. (laughs) There are perks of being a teacher, but the downside of this, and not to be a negative Nelly, uh, the downside of this is that as a teacher, when people see you going on spring break or having summer break, they're like, gosh, I wish I could get paid for months for doing no work. And uh, so teachers are constantly having to defend the fact that like, yeah, but we work like hundreds of hours beyond our scheduled work, you know, work during the time that we're working. Sure. And we don't get paid for the time that we're off. They just take our salary and spread it out over 12 months. Like mm-hmm. we're paid for what we work. Right. And then we have the option to have it spread out over 12 months instead of nine months. So plus most of us go to lots of training or teach summer school or whatever. So I was going to ask a lot of my, my teachers in high school, like would get jobs during the summer. Is that pretty common? Yeah, I mean, well, to, to to be honest, a lot of teachers have to just because most teachers don't get paid very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we may or may not have talked about this before, but the um, I get paid pretty well for my school district, but the the average teacher salary in this state is like, I think, less than forty thousand mm. dollars, and that's not enough for a family to survive on. Right. And uh, you know, I've I've looked in a couple other cities that I have family in. You know, if we moved there, what would it cost? You know, what's the cost of living versus teacher salary? A lot of times the cost of living in other places is massively higher and the teacher salary is lower. So um, very common to, to, to get a summer job teaching driver's ed or doing summer school 
or sometimes just work in retail. Not not uncommon at all. Yeah, I I worked in retail for a, a long time in my career. And I remember once I interviewed someone who was formerly my teacher for a role in retail. And that was in, just a unique experience. So my, a former teacher of mine came in looking for a part-time job. And I thought, I hired him. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. I hired him. He was a good teacher. <laughs> um, how has Star Wars been in your life in the past couple of weeks? Man, I'm going to say that I am suffering from uh, Star Wars withdrawals. Uh, there's been some shaking, and I itch a lot, and <laughs> um, I I don't know quite what to do with myself. I, I love everything that we've read with High Republic, and obviously we've still got the comics going and stuff, but... Uh, you know, it's like we just blasted through those three so that we could talk about them, the three books, so we could talk about them. And then now it's like a long wait. So I do have uh, Victory's Price, the last Alphabet Squadron book waiting for me. Um, hopefully going to pick that up here pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I have been Star Wars less for the most part. You know, re-watching episodes of Clone Wars and still playing a little bit of uh, Fallen Order with my son. But otherwise, no Star Wars lately. I haven't done anything Star Wars since we finished Into the Dark, which was a month ago or so, which is wild. Like, I'm always all Star Wars all the time, and it just been hasn't been a part of my life. Maybe I was needed a break or just I'm reading some other books, some other series. Um, I'm wondering, with the release schedule of the High Republic books, do you think it was all too too much too fast? I kind of was feeling that. I'm like, I wish they spread it out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I get the I get the idea of having these like sort of launch dates at the beginning and the middle of the year. And I mean, obviously, we as grown adults can pace ourselves, but yes, if we didn't have a podcast that we wanted to be timely with, we probably could have spread it out better. Yes. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, it was so good that you just wanted to know what was happening next. I. I personally like the idea and they almost are doing this anyway with Phil. Maybe they did it that way so that they could fill in the gaps with the non high Republic stuff and still keep you buying because it seems like there's something almost every single month this year to buy. So. Yes, that is true. And let's talk about that. Um, so I think the next thing coming out is the Dr. Afra omnibus, which is like, you know, if you don't know what an omnibus is, it's a collection of all the comics. I don't know how many issues is in this omnibus, but that comes out the end of March. Um, we were chatting about that a little bit. You're picking that up, aren't you? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I really like having the omnibuses because, um, uh, which by the way, there's lots of uh, controversy about what is the correct plural of omnibus. Is it om omnibucks, omnibuy, om omnib omnibu? <laughs> um, but I, I've, I've looked it up. It's actually omnibuses. Um, I think for Star Wars, it should be omnibu. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what a guy, uh, uh, Near Mint Condition, which is a YouTube channel, and that's what he calls them as Omnibu. And he's probably the most knowledgeable person I've seen on online about Omnibu or Omnibuses. <laughs> um, but I love it because you get like a whole run, like, you know, 30 to 50 issues. You know, it's a lot of times those books are a thousand to fifteen hundred pages. So, I mean, it's it's unwieldy. It's a giant thing to hold and, and turn pages on. But at the same time, you've got everything. And uh, I love that. So I've already got in the Star Wars universe, there's only three that exist. And one of them I wouldn't even really call one. 
There is the Jason Aaron Star Wars Omnibus, mm -hmm. which I own is, and is phenomenal. There is the uh, Darth Vader Omnibus, uh, the first Darth Vader set from the canon. Yeah. Um, uh, which I want to say that was Kieran Gillen that did that run. And then there is uh, one that is sort of the um, the Kanan Omnibus. And, and it's not really, it doesn't really feel like an omnibus. It's two, you know, trade paperback. Yeah, there's only, what, six, seven, eight issues of the Kanan book? Yeah, and that's it. So it's really more of an oversized hardcover. They did just announce um, that there is another Canon omnibus coming this year. I, I forgot to tell you this, mm -hmm. um, which is the next Darth Vader omnibus, which is the, uh, I believe, is um, our friend, our, our high our friend, Charles Soule. Yeah, I think it's a Charles Soule omnibus, if I'm not mistaken. That's, I, uh, com that's coming yeah, later I in the year. If you haven't read that, by the way, anybody listening or you, Brian, like that's a, a great run of comics. Charles Soule's run on Vader. Um, I've read all I've read all that stuff you just mentioned, and uh, I'm a digital comics guy. Unfortunately, just don't have the space for so many comics. But I might pick up some omnibuses, including this Doctor Afro one, because Doctor Afro's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, so we're not paid or anything to say this, but uh, I've learned that two of the best places to go to buy omnibuses are uh, InStockTrades.com and cheapgraphicnovels.com, a lot of times they'll have, you know, $125 omnibus for about 70 bucks. So definitely. We're not, we're not paid to say this, but we could be. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, you don't even have to pay us some money. Just send us the uh, Dr. Afro omnibus. I'm just saying. And that's not that's not all we're getting for Doctor Afra in the next couple of weeks. There's also a also a Doctor Afra script book. So this is some Inception right here. This is the uh, uh, a print version of the audio book that was based on the comic book. Do I have that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So essentially, if you get the script book and you get the the omnibus, there's definitely some overlap there. Um, but it's a uh, just different mediums. So it's kind of, what do you like? And if you're someone like us, we like completionists. We like, we are completionists. We like all the things. I listened to that audiobook, by the way, and it's excellent. Have you, have you listened to that yet? I did. In fact, that was where I think I, cause I had read a little bit of the Dr. Afra, but that was where I first learned about the, uh, what are they called? The, the, the like worms that attack, uh, Han Solo and Dr. Afra. Yes. Yes. Can't remember what they're called, but we just talked because they were in our, our our comic books recently. They were. Um, let's see what else is going on in some Star Wars news. Uh, we might have mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again because I am so excited. May fourth, the Bad Batch premieres. Um, maybe we'll do some Bad Batch review episodes. Who knows? Who knows, guys? Brian and I have never discussed that. I just put that out there, and now it has to exist. It seems like such a random, arbitrary date. Why would they do it on May the 4th? I don't understand. I don't even... I think May the 4th, by the way, is a Tuesday this year. Let me check. It is a Tuesday. It's sad that I know that because I took off from work because I'm that type of nerd. <laughs> um, so it's a Tuesday. Um, I'm going to guess that they settle into that Friday release schedule that Disney Plus is known to do eventually. They just want to get that first one in May the 4th for that buzz. Yeah, Disney. Disney's. Uh, you want to talk about addiction and someone who knows how to give their addicts what they want. Disney Plus is, is doing it. So uh, it, it it lines up where outside of Star Wars we have uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts this week this, that we're recording this. 
And that will probably run until the end of April. And then you'll have probably a week or two off. And I'm betting then we'll get Bad Batch for two months. And then it'll go, I think, Loki's after that. So they they really keep that content flowing. Yes, they do. That's Absolutely. the best subscription money can buy at Disney Plus, let me tell you. Plus the bundled version with, with uh, Hulu and ESPN. Uh, definitely I use Hulu. And then, uh, you know, I'm not much <laughs> for sportsing. Uh, I've been known to watch some sports ball from time to time, but not real often. Uh, but it's nice to have have access. And we're not paid by Disney, but we could be. <laughs> <laughs> it's our new slogan today. But we could be if uh, Disney, if you're listening, uh, we we will take a sponsorship, sure. Um, so that's exciting. Bad Batch May fourth. Uh, I just got a Bad Batch Funko Pop this week. I guess that was one Star Wars thing that happened to me. Uh, Wrecker, who was on the Clone Wars, he had a really cool looking Funko Pop. I could not turn down, even though I'm on a Funko Pop like freeze where I'm not allowed to buy anymore. I couldn't really turn that one down. It was neat. Um, there's some big news I want to get to last, but also uh, our friend Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, our friend, friend of the show. We hang out, the three of us. We have our weekly chats about uh, how much I love the first two seasons of Sherlock, but not the third season of Sherlock. You ever watch Sherlock? Oh, yeah. Absolutely love it. My favorite actor on that show is Brambleberry Cabbage Patch. So... <laughs> For a second, it, it took me a second to listen to, to, to get that, by the way. I'm like, is that really someone's name? <laughs> so There's, a, there's a whole website devoted to how you can pretty much call him any polysyllabic name yeah. that starts with a B and a C. Yeah. And, and it sounds right. <laughs> so he's long been rumored to be in a Star Wars uh, project for as long as, as far back as when I remember Force Awakens was in development. They're like, oh, yeah, like JJ's directing it or he's producing it. Definitely Cumberbatch is going to be in there. And then he was rumored for Last Jedi and uh, for Rise of Skywalker. And now the talk of, has been out there of him playing Thrawn, live action Thrawn in the Mandalorian Ahsoka series. Um, but he denied it this week. He said, no, I will never do that because I don't want to be painted blue for that long. So there's two ways to look at that, Brian. It's either Cumberbatch confirmed for Thrawn because <laughs> he's denying it or um, he doesn't want to play Thrawn. And I'd be okay with that. He's not, he wouldn't be my first choice for Thrawn, personally. Yeah, I don't know who I would want to play Thrawn, but I do feel like, in some sense, like he's played a lot of heavy intellectual characters. Yes. You know, and give him, give him a break. Let him do something different for a little while so it doesn't feel like you're getting the same thing over and over. I mean, yeah, because he was, he was in, in Star Trek, and he played Khan. He's basically playing the same character as Sherlock. Yeah, he's an incredibly talented actor, for sure. But let's break it up and do some different stuff so he doesn't end up typecast. You're saying you want to see Benedict Cumberbatch uh, in like a slapstick comedy? Because I'd, I'd want to see that too. Yeah, or like in a new Ewok TV special as an Ewok. I would be <laughs> so into that. Oh my God, that must happen now. He's going to play Sindel's new friend. Sindel's a character from the Ewok special. If you guys don't know, watch the Ewok special. Okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah, Cumberbatch confirmed for Ewok 3. I wish I could come up with a quick name right here. Wicket's Day Out. There you go. <laughs> Wicket's Day Out. That's great, yeah. He goes, like, shopping and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. So Disney's got themselves a new uh, CEO whose name I don't remember. Yeah, it's not Bob. It's not Bob. Bob Iger. Wow, I couldn't say his name there. Disney CEO. Good thing I'm on Google right now. Bob Chapek. 
Okay. They kept it with Bob to ease the transition. Yeah, yeah. They make hey, like, yeah, where's Bob at? It's pretty easy for everybody to remember that. But uh, on an investor's call, which I am an investor in Disney, I'm not paid to say that, but I am. But Disney, I could be. Um, <laughs> I could have joined that investor's call, but I didn't. I don't. I don't know why they don't email. I don't own enough stock, I guess. To you know, when you have two shares of Disney stock, they don't really invite you to the investors' calls. <laughs> um, it's a shame. It's a shame. He was talking about uh, someone had asked him. Well, uh, are you going to replace Kathleen Kennedy with Dave Filoni and John Favreau? Because that's what the internet says you're going to do. And I was very relieved to hear him say, nah, nah, bro, that's not going to happen. Kathleen Kennedy has done a terrific job um, for us with the Star Wars uh, franchise, and she'll be in place for a while now uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And you can't argue with that. You and I are both on record of saying we love the Disney Star Wars stuff. I know there's people that that don't um i have a, i have some breaking news for anybody who who wants kathleen kennedy out of the disney franchise disney is a company they do not care what you think about their product and that oh ray should have been a, a skywalker or should have been a solo or should have been this or should have been that they do not care they've made billions of dollars with kathleen kennedy running star wars that's what they care about do you agree brian I do. And just the, just, just the fact that like in general, so we are openly proudly nerdy guys, Mm -hmm. but in general, the fandoms that are made up of people like us can be incredibly toxic and they're very split. You know, there are people that absolutely love them and people that hate them and you're never going to make everybody happy because some people want the next Star Wars to be just like the Star Wars they fell in love with, and some want them to be something completely different. Some want them to be deeply connected, and some want them to be less connected. And so you just make the best thing that you can and hope that people will will purchase it and like it. And so far, people have purchased it, and there have been people that liked it. And so, you know, even we've talked about Solo. Solo was a movie that gets so much crap, but it's so good. And, and that's coming from having to switch directors and have, you know, Ron Howard come in and like make it the magic that it, that it ended up being in the end. Uh, it just, it just is, you know, and it's sad that people don't like it. And what really gets me even more than the, the toxicity about whether we like the stories or not is the toxicity that gets targeted towards the actors, like um, yes. the actress who played Rose Tycho and, Kelly Marie uh, Tran, yeah. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, you know, I mean, driving people off of social media because there's so much hate and racism, and that's we're better than that. So we need to – that needs to change. But Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm going to go on record here, and we're going to maybe talk about this in the future. Spoiler alert. Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie, so that just tells you who I am as a Star Wars fan. It's either my favorite or it's my second behind Return of the Jedi. Yeah. We like the weird guys. We've talked about it before. We like the weird Star Wars. And there's not a weirder Star Wars movie than Last Jedi. Absolutely. Um, And then last piece of news. Some bummer news. We are getting a lot of great books this year. They announced uh, the the Padme book we talked about last time. That's coming in November. But the Mandalorian novel, which I've had pre-ordered since the day it was announced, which was in November of last year, has been canceled. Completely. Not like rescheduled. From my understanding, it's been completely canceled. It will no longer be coming out. Which I, I have a lot of feelings about. That book probably was 
written or almost being done, almost finished, I believe, if it's going to be published in November. I don't know what the publishing cycle looks like, but I have to imagine the author put in a ton of work um, on that book. So having that canceled is, is a real bummer. Um, and I wanted more more stories in the Mandalorian universe. Yeah, what they did say is that they're 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 going to find another project for that author. So I, I love that they're making it worth the author's while. And obviously, we've talked about how we have given the the drama around um, you know Cara Dune around around the actress. Um, we're not super surprised <laughs> that they're. They're shifting things around that movie or that book. It's it's plausible, if not probable, that she was a primary character in the book uh, that was being explored. Um, and um, it's unfortunate that everything has gone down the way that it has. But uh, again, as a company protecting their investment against some pretty horrific comments, uh, we don't blame them. Uh, but we are sad because we want all the Mandalorian stuff. We give us give us more. More, more black series figures, more Funko Pops, more toys, more, more books, more movies, more TV shows. Bring it. And that author is Adam Christopher, who was writing that book. It was scheduled to be released November 2nd of 2021. And he has written in the Star Wars universe just alone uh, a story in each of the From Certain Point of View books. He's written for the Star Wars adventure comic book series um, about wild space. So he's he's lived in the Star Wars universe. So I'm sure they'll they'll find something else for him to do. Um, but real bummer there. I thought that could have been a real fun standalone book there for Mandalorian. But uh, hopefully we get we get more. That's that's one thing I feel is missing for Mandalorian. Um, we have all those toys and everything you mentioned, but there's no ongoing comic series, and there's no there haven't been any any novels or even young adult novels, which I feel. Maybe they're just holding things close to their, their vest there, but uh, it feels like it's a little lacking. Do you agree? Yeah, but I think that the interest in that has also driven things like the, the what is it, the the Bounty Hunter Wars or whatever that's going on in the comics right now. Yep, yep. Um, you know, we could probably owe a little bit of that to the Mandalorian and seeing, you know, Din Djarin and IG-11 and characters that are similar to bounty hunters we've seen in the past and kind of stirring up that interest and going back and seeing more bounty hunter stuff. Yeah. And I get the not wanting to write things that might conflict with the show or the show going forward, but you can always tell tales of the past, which is kind of what I assumed the Mandalorian novel was going to be is a, maybe a prequel novel about Din on a you know, standalone adventure or something. Yeah. There's, there's, there's still time. It's not going away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mandalorian's not going away. And we're going to be learning about Din Djarin's every second of his life as we do with every other Star Wars character. And I am here for it. I need to know, Kylo Ren, what was he up to when he was seven years old? Tell me. Tell me about it. And we'll find out one day, I'm sure. And I'm looking forward right now, too, to seeing how the Book of Boba Fett ties in and continues what they've been building. So. But we're here to talk about High Republic, and specifically this week, Marvel Issue 3. I did not know that these, well, Chapter 3, that they all have titles. This one's called Down Below. I don't know what the title for Chapter 2 was, but this one is Down Below. Um, this came out beginning of March. They're on this beginning of the month release schedule. We're just talking about the Marvel issue today. We're going to do a separate episode on the IDW issue. Our next episode will focus on that. Um, full transparency, the reason why I thought we should split those up, um, one, content, we don't have a lot of High Republic stuff out right now, two, 
I want to make sure that they get their due, right? We spend enough time focusing on the specific issue. And three, I don't want to confuse the plot points, right? When you read two comic books and then you want to go and talk about them, uh, there might be some overlap or there might be some things that I mix up. So um, we're going to be talking about just Marvel today. And I will say that I've read both the issues. And if you're not, I mean, first of all, if you're not collecting these or subscribe to these or whatever, however you, you get your <laughs> comics, they're both so, so good. So good. I'm really excited to talk about the Marvel issue, and I'm 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 really excited to talk about the IDW issue in a couple of weeks too. So, uh, you're not wasting your time listening to this stuff. I haven't read the IDW one yet, so I'm excited for that. So you know more about the High Republic at this moment than I do. Uh, you're right. So real quick, let me tell you how it ends. Oh no! Spoilers for <laughs> issue two of a comic that I'm sure doesn't have major implications. But um, so issue or chapter three of the High Republic. Um, down below, written by Kevin Scott, one of our favorites. Um, and you know what? I want to I want to take some time to give some due to the artists that work on this. So Ario and Dito is the artist. Mark Morales is the inker. Uh, Anna Annalisa Leone is the colorist. Uh, Ariana Maher is a letterer, and Phil Noto is the cover artist. One of the many covers. One of the things I love about this Marvel one is there seems to be unlimited amount of variance to these comic covers. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta get your comic store to get them for you though. And if you're doing digital, you get the benefit of being able to pick. But yes. uh, if you're picking up physical, you got to talk to your comic store and tell them, "Hey, I really want this this variant. Can you get it for me?" Yeah, there's a lot of really cool variants out there. We've been sharing them on our social media pages um, a couple times, but uh, it's hard to keep track. There, I feel like there's four or five variants for each issue so far, and I think I read somewhere that they're already in the third or fourth printing of the first issue that's how successful that first issue was yeah first issues always go like crazy but man they were both so good and this i mean just in general i think the high republic has surpassed everyone's expectations so so this issue picks up where we left off in the last issue so um it was Tarek who it was a Tarek or serac it was Tarek, i believe who disappeared while on the planet uh Sedri Minor um, with Skier. Skier. I'm going to have to pronounce it like that the whole time. Skier, because that's how I read it. Um, so Tarek disappeared. Um, we kind of, at the time, thought that it would be the um, Drengir who uh, took him because we, we had heard of them. Um, we knew that they were coming. But I believe when we talked about that issue and when we read it, that was before we had read Into the Dark. So that was kind of our little uh, sneak peek of the Drengear was the second Marvel issue, but this issue confirms it. Um, we get to see the Drengear in all of their glory in Marvel uh, issue number three. And I, I gotta say, it's, it's obvious that that's why they sort of put the comics out when they did, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because all we had before into the dark came out was just a picture of like a little tendril of the plant with like a thorn on it, you know, up in the air about to do something. Um, if we would have seen it completely, it would have really killed a lot of the tension of End of the Dark. Now, End of the Dark's a phenomenal book, but one of the things that was so good about reading it was that we really knew nothing about the Drengear. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of, the whole book, we were dealing with this tension of almost like a horror movie kind of thing. Um, so... I'm glad we got it that way. It's, I think, a little bit harder to build suspense in a comic book because it's a visual medium. 
Yeah, and just getting get it right out of the way here. Brian and I were talking before this episode we started recording. He's like, oh, I can't wait to hear what your favorite part is. The splash page of Avar Chris cutting a Drangir in half was my absolute favorite thing maybe in the whole High Republic so far. That was badass, dude. <laughs> okay, well, I was, I was, I said I wanted to be surprised for you not to tell me, but that is, uh, that is one of my top two moments in this as well. Like, absolutely, I, and I thought that you were gonna like it because Avar Chris has been so sort of stoic and leadership driven, and we've not seen her in action quite this way. Mm-hmm. And so the first time that we really see her in action, her just absolute dominance was. Uh, pretty pretty intense pretty awesome yeah and and the reason i also like that too is because that's there's two big pages there's the one with avar obviously cutting the drangir in half and then the one with keeve where she's kind of facing it for the first time and that's when we get to see the drangir in their full glory and what this thing actually looks like or, or one of them looks like and it is it is terrifying yeah yeah and they're dealing with a few of them and i gotta say that one of the things i like about it too is that the they're so they're so deep in the dark side that it literally it, it causes a physical reaction from our characters, and we saw that in the, into the dark, and we see it now. And um, I don't remember ever having that so much with the Sith. Mm-hmm. You know, the only times where we really saw our characters physically kind of stopped by something in the Force was Order sixty six, <laughs> right? Um, and when the Death Star blew up Alderaan, um, or was it? Yeah. Yeah, when, you're right. You're, yeah, that physically affected Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And, uh, and so those, those moments are the only ones that I can think of where we've seen characters that are strong in the force that are Jedi literally stopping their tracks by the, the weight and of, of, of something related to the force. And yet we've seen it in two works now with the Drengear. So these are, I mean, they're oppressively dark. And we'll, we're jumping around. We almost started at the end of the issue. So we'll get back to the beginning in a second. But I want to talk about that concept. When I was reading this specifically, I, I had this thought during Into the Dark, but specifically this comic, the Drengear, yes, they're drenched in, in the dark side of the Force. But do they know that? Like, are they aware that they have this this connection to the dark side, or are they just this this race or or creature that's just surviving and and they just happen to be connected to the dark side some, somehow? It's not very clear. Well, and even I think that raises the questions of how did the Dringir come to be in existence at all? Are they actually? Is there a planet of plant-like creatures which we have maybe some hint of? Mm-hmm. Or is this some sort of, you know, was this some sort of experiment that went wrong that created them? You know, is this something that the Sith created somehow? Ooh, Ooh I like that. I hadn't thought of that, but that's an interesting, interesting uh, idea. Especially because we know that it was, didn't we have that it was like a, a, a there was Sith-related stuff on the base. We know that the base ultimately ended up being where Snoke was. Yes. Um, but there was some Sith-related stuff. Was it the Sith that put that thing there to, to keep them at bay, too? Or was it the Jedi that put that the, the, the statues in Into the Dark? Did it ever specify? I don't remember if it specified. I don't either. But, yeah, I'm interested to know kind of how they came into being. And, and you know, very well may just be a specific race of, of aliens. 
but uh i don't know that the intensity of the darkness here is is i want to get more into that and again i'm going to say maybe because we haven't dealt with the nile in as much depth as we did with uh you know our very first first book but i'm almost more interested in the drengir than i am in the nile yeah i i, I wouldn't disagree with that because the drengir are we know what the Nile are. They've been fleshed out really well in, in light of the Jedi and um, even into the dark. Um, they talk about the Nile a lot. The Drengir, we have no idea what they are and, and what their capabilities are. Like in, in, in this story, we see them and we saw it in Into the Dark also, um, where they're, yes, they're carnivorous. They, they want to feed, but also they're, they're kind of like have some sort of symbiotic relationship with like their, um, with, Tarek in this book where, where they're kind of infiltrating him. Um, we see it at the very end of the book with Skier. They've kind of taken him over as well. So they're this like kind of raw um, animalistic creature who's like there to, to feed, to survive, but have this other type of like um, telekinesis is the type of level with, with their prey, which is really interesting. Okay. I'm going to throw something out here. First of all, let me say that um they controlled, uh, you know, our character in uh, Into the Dark through mm -hmm. torture, drugging him and stuff like that. So yes. is, th is that also how they're controlling Tarek? And then Sarah is being controlled because of his bond with Tarek. Yes. So is that is that how they're doing that or is there something else? Because um, it's Sarah that seems to be able to affect, you know, uh, infect Skier in this. Now... I'm throwing something out here. This could be totally wrong. This is it. I'm, I'm going to guess at something here. So um, in uh, we were talking before we started recording about how I just finished watching um, the last season of The Magicians. And um, in the last season of The Magicians, uh, one of the characters sort of inhales this fungal spore and it sort of possesses them. The fungal spore is, is spreading through people and it can control them when it's doing that. That's a very appropriate thing for a plant. So is that maybe what's happening here as well? That could be very interesting uh, as if that's if that's the way they're you know spreading here as well. Yeah, we saw that with with Dez in Into the Dark too. To your point, where they were controlling him through torture, uh, his he was just not himself, and he didn't even recognize or understand what was happening. And we see that with Terak and Sarah here. And and skier now going to skier skier I have to say it like that um, at the end of issue one we were left with a pretty big cliffhanger um, has that been resolved where he was standing there and, and saw something that made him take pause um, I don't know if that's been resolved yet okay so my impression was that what he saw was a flashback just like what he saw in the second issue. Okay. Now I assumed that it's not a hundred percent clear, but that he's been having these sort of PTSD flashbacks okay. to uh, the battle and losing his friend and uh, that, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's definitely more going on because he is becoming less and less stable and more and more sort of animalistic in his responses to things. Yeah, and, and we see that in this issue with Avar Chris um, kind of reprimanding him almost. Like, we, we see him here like, dude, you got to chill. Like, you you messed this up. So what's going on with you? Um, 
which we don't really see a lot from the Jedi kind of, you know, using their authority over other Jedi. He's a he's a master and she's also a master, but is she on the She's the marshal. She's the marshal. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. She was she thought she was going to be asked to be in the council and she was asked to be the marshal. Marshal of Starlight. Yeah. So she has authority over him, I guess, in the Jedi hierarchy. Yeah. And and what's what's interesting too is the um well, also, first of all, interesting that they use the word marshal, right? Like yeah. some of the words that they're choosing, rangers and marshals, very <laughs> old west kind of vibe. Um, but the that, the, uh, that was the name of the Mandalorian episode with Cobb Vance, the marshal. Yeah. Yep. And then we've got the upcoming show Rangers of the High Republics or, or yep. Rangers of the New Republic. Um, but so, um, yeah. Well, what, and what I loved about that whole thing too, is like, I love Treve. Like she's, um, she's maybe one of my favorite new characters. And I love that she is this recent, you know, recently, you know, knighted Jedi who's watching her master sort of fall apart mm-hmm. and the, that sense of this is the person that I look up to most in the world. And he's obviously making terrible decisions and I don't know what to do to help him. And, you know, just kind of that feeling when you're the people that you've looked up to that are your authorities go off the rails of being like, you know, anchorless, I guess, just floating out at sea. I, I, I like seeing that in one of our characters, you know? Yeah. And we see her have uh, some pretty fun interactions with one of the natives there. Um, Bartle is his name. And I actually, I like that relationship. I thought that was pretty fun. Um, and uh, he, they find a sinkhole and he's like, I'm just going to jump down this sinkhole. Let, let's see what happens. And she uses the force to, to save him. Obviously that leads to some, some bad stuff that happens, but I thought he was a fun little character. Yeah, and I love that she's like, I I don't know, I don't have a firm grasp on her age. She almost feels like a like she's in her twenties, maybe, or you know, like I got that's the vibe I got, like twenty. Yeah, and she's she's like, why do I have like a pest every time I'm doing something? That's a good. You know? I didn't even think of that. Yeah, she always has something around her, right? She had the the like bee looking guy or whatever last time, and yeah, now she's got this kid both like nonstop talking and just like recklessly going forward. So she's trying to do her job while also like saving their lives. <laughs> but the benefit of that is, is that she's still in some ways unsure and unconfident, but when she has to help someone or save someone, then her instincts <laughs> kick in and she's heroic and she's amazing. And we see that, you know, here too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the fun little side panels that doesn't have a lot of impact on the story is uh, back at the Starlight Beacon, uh, Avar is talking to Ma- Maru, a character we, we both really liked. Um, and they're doing a, um, they're dissecting and doing an autopsy on a hut. And that was just a fun little panel to look at. I'm looking at it right now and that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's funny because I think that, you know, we always talk about the huts being like a slug-like creature mm-hmm. and this hut is like massive bullet holes everywhere. Like his gut is just completely cut in half. Yeah. And the, one of the things I, I love about it is it's like, there's almost like a, I'm, I'm an English teacher, right? So we talk about, um, we talk about imagery and how imagery is not just what you see, 
but it's a, anything that appeals to the senses that's meant to help you to imagine something in a sensory way. So I try to get my kids to understand concepts of like that we have visual imagery and we have auditory imagery and we have tactile imagery, what, what it feels like and we have what it smells like and what it tastes like. And whenever we're dealing with the huts, there's like almost like a, an olfactory, like a smell imagery related. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> they paint it out like this guy doesn't smell good. You know, they don't really they don't say it directly, but you get the vibe that like he doesn't smell good on a good day. But mm -hmm. now dead, decaying and being like cut apart for an autopsy, like we almost like we don't get paid enough as Jedi to deal with this. Yeah. He, uh, Maru goes uh, business as usual. If taking receipt of a decomposing hut is usual, which it isn't, by the way, not in the slightest. I thought that was fun. Yeah. And Maro seems Maro seems to be someone that's like always like a little bit annoyed. Like <laughs> I'm going to get the job done. I'm good at my job, but this sucks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, a giant hawk just landed in my backyard. That thing is huge. Sorry. I was looking out the window and this giant hawk landed in my backyard and I was really hoping my dog is inside, but he is. Good. I'm glad to hear that. We have these hawks in New Jersey. Side note to everybody. We have these hawks in New Jersey that are huge and are known for like picking up little dogs. So my dog is like 25 pounds. I, I think he's a little too heavy to be lifted by this hawk, but... I'm not going to let him out anytime soon. Now I'm freaked out. Does the hawk have a spray tan, spiky hair, and like a puka shell necklace? Uh, are you just assuming that's what everybody in New Jersey is like? No. <laughs> Do I have any of those things? No, you're very I mean, white. I, <laughs> very tasty. I own a puka shell necklace, but I don't wear it that often. Only <laughs> when I'm surfing, I'm like, I got to put on my puka shell necklace. <laughs> oh boy well anyway we digress the other right. fun I, rode my, I rode my horse here today so and i've got my, my <laughs> yeah did you on. get a drink down at the saloon i did yeah <laughs> i spit spit my chewing tobacco in the in the spittoon i always westerns like i always thought they took place in texas but a lot of them are like missouri and kansas and stuff like that i always assume like the wild west is texas but i guess it's not it's yeah i mean there's definitely stuff for sure but yeah it's it's often more like missouri um, the other fun character we meet is Speaker Soulman. I, I called him Soulman, but that's what I'm going to call him. I think it's Soulman, but Soulman, Speaker Soulman, who is like the, doesn't want the Jedi poking their nose around because the Jedi are there and they're like, oh yeah, we've had a couple disappearances actually here on, on uh, our planet. So the Jedi are like, oh, that's interesting. And this guy's like, no, 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 we don't need no Jedi help. Get out of here. We don't serve your kind here. Um, so he kind of, he's kind of fun. He has a little rat tat tat with Avar, Chris, and Skier a little bit. He's like, no, nah, I didn't go away. Yeah, so he really bothered me. And maybe it's just because we're coming out of the political season that we're coming out of. <laughs> like, this was yeah. like, I was like, here's this sort of politician type character who's like, we don't need help. When his people are like, but we really do need help. Yeah, they're like, and he's like kid's missing. He's like, no, nah, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah, like we're we're gonna solve this on our own, and 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 you get the vibe like, but you haven't been solving it on your own, <laughs> which is why we want help. But you know, but you're gonna prevent us from having, you know, our families found or whatever, and and that's just so frustrating that that mentality of, um, we're not gonna do this thing that we obviously need to just because we don't like these other political people. And this these are the first characters we've encountered so far in the high Republic. Oh, he's the first character who's not like kind of willing to accept the Jedi or 
in awe of the Jedi, other than the Nile, of course. But everyone else we met have kind of been like, put the Jedi on a pedestal. And he's like, no, nah, we don't, I don't need your Jedi, no Jedi around here. Well, and I will say, I felt there was a tonal, like, so there, you know, I hate to talk bad about anything, High Republic, but I, I want to be honest. And I felt like there was a little bit of a tonal shift because at the end of the, of the second issue, when they first landed on that planet, mm-hmm. they were not warmly greeted. Right. They, and then we switched to this episode, this issue, and everybody but that dude are like, we like you, welcome, here, have some food. Yeah. And just yeah. that one dude's like, no, we don't. And so that's kind of weird, and I don't think they fully explained why some the people in issue two were very, like, we don't want you here. Um, we get more of that with Solomon, but I wish that, like, there would have been some connection there. Yeah, I think I misspoke. Now I'm thinking about IDW. I've only read the first issue, but uh, remember that planet of people who hated Jedi too? Oh yeah, that planet d- doesn't w- w- want any Jedi's there. Like, no, no, thank you. And and a quick aside, not to go into that at all, because we're obviously going to be watching ID <coughs> reading, talking about IDW next week. But we talked about the Nile versus the Drengir, mm-hmm. and obviously we got this in the beginning of the IDW issue, and it continues that we get a lot of Nile in the IDW stuff. So, oh cool, I'm looking forward to that. My man, Martian Rowe, Markian, Martian, Markian. Um, so on Sentry Minor, do you think this is the same planet that uh, Dez was ch- captured on in, uh, in Into the Dark? Or the, are the Drangir on multiple planets? It's an interesting question. I mean, it sounded like that originally they were sent to multiple planets and then stranded there. Okay. But we don't know for sure what planet Dez was on. And it was a very plant-filled planet. Yes, like so, this, this planet, look, Sentry Minor, looks like that. Yeah, so it could be. Uh, I guess maybe maybe we'll find out, and maybe we won't. It might just be a question we're left with. Yeah, so, I mean, because that's where I was thinking. Are the Drengir centralized to one place, or are they spread out throughout the galaxy, and there's going to be this this uprising of Drengir, and they're going to kind of be, like, hidden underneath, and all of a sudden, oh, dude, how cool would it be if it's like, hey, we're just chilling on Coruscant. Oh, no, Drengir! <laughs> <laughs> I hope they say it exactly like that too. Oh um, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, I don't know, and I, I will say, I think I tend to say that they were not on this planet. They're that they they're not centrally located on this planet because, um, with their appetite, I don't think that many people could have survived. You know what I mean? Well, could they, um, maybe they were dormant? Maybe they were just chilling? Yeah, maybe maybe so. Um, we definitely have that they're more like in the you know they're in this sinkhole in the center of the earth. And we haven't really like discussed that that much yet. And so I'm interested to see if that's something that's common or maybe they were able to stay functional down there or, you know, what's been going on. And I love meat. They're always like meat. Give me meat. Where's the beef. (laughs) Right. And do they, and do they need it? Can they, can they survive off of like the nutrients (laughs) of the soil or stuff like that? Or do they have to eat people? Oh boy. Um, I had this vision when I said the drink. Oh no, the drink gear on Coruscant. Hear me out, right? Please, High Republic, please give this to me. I want the drink gear to take over the Jedi Council, like room. Imagine them all, like one giant drink gear, just like sitting in Yoda's chair. That'd be cool. I don't know. That seems really. That's a good visual to me. And then Yoda comes in and he says, "A shrubbery, it is." <laughs> And then somebody else comes in and is like, oh, no, the drink gear. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so turn this into a Monty Python and the, and the, and the High Republic. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. 
Um, so what was your favorite part of this issue? I've kind of, I've already told mine is when Avar Chris comes to the rescue and slices up that drain gear. What was your favorite part? So that was definitely way up there. And that would have been, that, that's probably my number one as well. My, but closely followed by, I just really love, I love the character building they're doing with, with these characters and like with, with Treve, that she's um, levitating her lightsaber no. to light up the room. And then she lets this kid who is a pain in the butt and, you know, just jumping into trouble with no, you know, second thought, but she lets him hold it partially. So he'll feel more comfortable and, you know, to offer him comfort. And it, to me, struck me as a very, like, they've done this a couple times. For instance, Spider-Man's my favorite Marvel comic book character uh, in uh, the amazing Spider-Man two or no, in the amazing Spider-Man one, when he gets in that car that's burning and like gives the kid his mask so that the kid can feel brave. It, it felt like one of those kind of moments. Like um, she's putting herself at risk for the well-being of this kid. And I think that that is to me what I think of the Jedi representing, you know, at their, at their height, at their best. Yeah. Which is this error. And We've seen that the Jedi, specifically in the High Republic, are selfless, right? They'll they'll sacrifice themselves to save a life. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No. So I, I, I just, I liked this issue a lot. This was my favorite issue of the comics that we've read so far. I thought the action flowed well. Um, there was some storyline progression. We got to see, we hinted to earlier, a lot more character from Avar Chris, who... We love her. We think she's great, but she could, you know, she could show her personality a little bit more. She comes across as like, you know, someone who's who's trying to be a new manager and, and assert herself and be like, I'm the manager now. Uh, I need to, I can't show my personality. And as someone like myself, I, I do in my professional life, I do leadership development training. That's one thing I talk about. It's like, you have to show your personality or people aren't going to respect you. So um, I wonder if that's going to get fleshed out at all. But as a reader, this was like the most character we've seen from Avar Chris in, in the couple panels she's in this comic. Yeah, and I think it's fair too for her to have a less dynamic personality because we have all these different, you know, races and species and planets, and you know, it's kind of like Tarkin and kind of like Thrawn that more maybe more reserved, you know, uh, but on the Jedi side. Yeah. Um, but it is good to know that she can, you know, that sometimes there's going to be these things that come out, you know. Um, she, when she does that giant, you know, cut through a whole, uh, drink gear thing or whatever, it, Treve is desperate, surrounded, <laughs> overwhelmed. And she's like, did, did they hear me? Did they hear me? And she's like, I heard you. <laughs> and of course her being the person who can connect to everybody else's, you know, mm -hmm. location in the force. Uh, it makes sense that she would be the one that would have caught that and been able to get to her in time. Um, I'm I'm excited for more of her and more of these characters. I will say that the comic books are frustrating sometimes because and I love comic books, mm -hmm. but because they're so short, you read through an issue and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Okay. Oh, it's over. You know? And that's one of the reasons why I love collecting them in hardcover or trade paperback or omnibus, because you don't have to stop after 20 something pages. It's nice to be caught up and be like, you know, in the know with everyone else that, you know, this is the absolute newest issue. But at the same time, it's 
we've gotten so used to being able to binge all of our entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, gone are the days when you had to run back from the bathroom so that you didn't miss, you know, after the commercial or whatever. Um, and so I, I think that's hard because we've gotten used to being able to binge and we're not doing that when we read issue by issue. But I think it also really, you know, kind of makes you ready for when those trade paperbacks or hardbacks come out. Yeah. And this is a conversation for probably a bigger conversation, maybe when we talk about one of the shows, but that binge culture versus the week to week culture. Like, I think there's positives to both. Right. Um, I I like to read my my comics in like graphic novel form. So I get like a complete arc, a story arc there. Um, When I, I tend to when I read month to month, kind of forget some of the details and I have to go back and read what's going on. Um, we saw it with Mandalorian and we saw it a lot with like WandaVision, which just wrapped up where people when given time will, will kind of come up with their own theories and their own thoughts. And um, they'll either be happy with it or they'll be disappointed with it. But either way, they're going to have a strong reaction. Um, whereas like a show like Stranger Things that comes out all in one lump, you can watch that in a day. You don't see that as much. People talk about the the high points of the show or the story. But they don't talk like you don't see as much theorizing going on. And I think there's there's positives to each. Um, what what do you prefer? Do you like even with the show? Do you prefer watching week to week or in one sitting? Man, it's kind of like you said. Like I really like both things, and so. I think that when it goes week to week, we tend to have more positive overall feelings towards it. Um, I know that you just said that you you know when you when you binge watch it, you're like you just kind of remember the high points. But I'll I'll say this because even if it doesn't meet our expectations, what it does is it constantly gives us a sense of uh, of expectation. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how Christmas Eve is so much more exciting than Christmas Day. Right. Right. You know, if you celebrate Christmas, um, you know, I, I don't know if it feels the same way when you're doing Hanukkah or something like that. I've only ever really I've grown up with Christmas. But but the the idea that Christmas Eve, there's that anticipation, you know, Santa's coming tonight. Tomorrow we'll have presents. Right. right? And as a little boy, I remember wanting to sneak out and see if Santa had come yet. And, you know, those kind of things. My sister was literally required to stay the night with me uh, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> to make sure I didn't go out and get into the presents too early because I'm a horrible human being. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that anticipation is what made Christmas so great. And then you open the presents, you know, early Christmas morning and it's great. You've got new stuff and it's exciting, but really the excitement was in the not knowing. And I think that that's, what's great about the week to week. And um, as hard as it is to wait, as hard as it is to wait for another issue or another episode, um, it always seems to pay off and it always seems to make me come back and spend more money. <laughs> so, and we've seen it, we've seen it both ways in star Wars actually, where it's been successful and where it's been met with a different type of reaction. So I think about Mandalorian, right? It's week to week. I love, I wouldn't want that show any other way. I like that being week to week. I like those standalone episodes. They stand out to me <clears throat> and I can tell you specifics from each every in every episode. Um, People were talked between each week and and theorized, and in the case of Mandalorian, all those theories pretty much came true. What people thought was going to happen is pretty much what happened. Um, 
which is great and exciting. But then we saw, I think, the time between Force Awakens and Last Jedi specifically to be a part of the Star Wars fandom was so exciting. But it was also like overwhelming the amount of theories that you heard where no matter what had come out, well, no matter what Last Jedi and, or Episode Eight was, it would have never lived up to those expectations because time was not on its side. You had two years with all those unanswered questions and people now were just so impatient. They built it up so much in their mind that no matter what happened, it would have it would have not lived up to expectations. And I didn't like that. And that's why I think movies like Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, etc., get sometimes get the reputation that they have because oh this is not what i thought or wanted to happen i i just think about like the the idea of when it comes to those sort of expectations and stuff like that um and and and, and then maybe not meeting our expectations that's where the binge watching later comes back into play too you know like when uh, we talked about how um so i'm 38 years old I remember sitting in the theater, you know, I was already, you know, graduated from high school and, 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 you know, I had met my wife and all that when the prequels came out and um, going to see those. And I liked them, but like lots of people really hating the prequels uh, when they first came out because it was the first Star Wars movie, Star Wars movie since the original trilogy. Right. And so a lot of people's expectations were greatly like, I mean, you want to talk about a long time to think about what could happen. They had a long time to think about what was going to be in these movies and people's expectations let down. But now a lot of those same people, when they go back and watch them now, they're like, you know, they grew on me. I like them a whole lot more now. Um, You see, you get to see some of the nuance, you get time to deal with your emotions and what didn't pan out and what did pan out. And, um, and so like now there's a lot of people that hate the, the sequel trilogy and give it a few years. They'll come back and hopefully they'll see it for what it is and appreciate it for what it is. And, um, obviously, there's always going to be certain things that we like or don't like. I'll, I'll say we've talked about this before. You're a big Jar Jar Binks fan. I was very much not a Jar Jar Binks fan. Um, uh, I, uh, in fact, my frequent cut down on characters I didn't like was that's like the Jar Jar Binks of Harry Potter. That's like, <laughs> you know, but is Dobby I, is Dobby the Jar Jar Binks of Harry Potter? No, Dobby's all right. Um, I don't know who the Jar Jar Binks of Harry Potter would be. Um, that's for our Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, I could do a Harry Potter par- podcast. I'll tell you that. Um, but I'd have to think about that answer a little bit. But the the idea that now I've I've come around on that too, and I see Jar Jar's value. You know, um, I think we just need to be more patient and more open to things that are not ours and embracing them for what they are. You know, and and that helps. And that's how, and that can wrap us up nicely with High Republic too. Here's the thing we know about High Republic. Yoda lives through it. We literally don't know anything else that's going to happen. We have no kind of reference point. No, um, no, I don't have a lot of expectations. I have high expectations it's going to be quality, but I don't have those expectations of, of what it, it should be or what it's going to be. Um, and that's why I think that when we first started this project, you both, you and I agreed that that's what we thought was most exciting about the High Republic is uh, we don't know where it's going to go, or what's going to happen. And, and for the first time in Star Wars, almost, we don't have that reference point uh, for, for a story. And that's awesome. Yeah. And it's going to, I'll say one other thing that's really interesting. They've, you know, in the Del Rey books, they have a timeline in the front of the books that includes 
the Del Rey books, the movies, and some of the TV shows. And what's been interesting is that in the newer books that they've been publishing, like for instance, we just had Victory's Price come out. We've got another Thrawn book coming out very soon. Um, in those books, the timeline shows um, still in the High Republic era, not quite in the, um, the what is it? The uh, Rise of the Empire? Yeah, not, not quite in the Rise of the Empire or whatever. You know, not quite in the prequels. We do have... Dooku Jedi Lost. We do have some of the uh, Amidala books, uh, Padme books uh, that kind of fit before Phantom Menace, right? Mm -hmm. And Phantom Menace is sort of what they consider the transition. So it'll be interesting to see, and we've talked about this a little bit, um, the High Republic right now, we're, you know, hundreds of years before that, but is it going to flow into it? Is it going to connect into it? You know, um, I would love to see more stories of Dooku as a young Jedi, you know, for instance, um, would that tie into high Republic or not? I don't know, but that's, that's the only thing that we have besides what you said is expecting it to be good and knowing that Jedi's going to, that, that Yoda's going to survive. The fact that these things are sort of lumped into that time frame of the high Republic, even though they're really right on the edge of the other, um, is it going to connect? Yeah. So that feels like a good ending point for us today. Um, really enjoyed Marvel is chapter three. Um, we'll be back in a couple weeks covering IDW issue two. I haven't read it yet. Brian has read it. So very jealous. Maybe I'll go read it now. Um, what do you want to plug, Brian? You want to talk about your other podcast? No. <laughs> okay. Sweet. That sounds I'll, I'll, great. I'll talk about, a. I I do have another podcast, but I don't want to talk about it until we have more than one issue, more than one episode out. And uh, we're not, we are not scheduled and, and, and uh, organized like we are in this one. And that's okay. Um, but I will say that uh, I'm, you can find me at, at the Rudy Librarian, which I, I very much keep up with. And uh, so that's, uh, I, I finally was, I'm very excited. I don't know if I said this before, but I, I, I finally got to over 100 subscribers on YouTube, which allowed me to get my own URL on YouTube, which is a, a big deal for me. Um, just allows me to personalize a little bit more. So you, know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as the Rudy Librarian. And um, on some of those, I'm just Rudy Librarian. Some of them are the Rudy Librarian. But um, And I do book talks and um, talk about music and talk about books primarily on those. Um, and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. So at spring break, um, I'm probably still going to do some videos. I don't know if I'll do book talks this week or not, but uh, that's uh, that's my main, my main thing that I do, you know, besides being a teacher and husband and parent. <laughs> yeah, those old things. Uh, you can find me online at my name, Gary Mastriano, uh, everywhere except for Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. I've never had a Twitter before. There's a fake Twitter um, with my name, somebody pretending to be me. We'll talk about that at a different time. Um, and then I host another podcast called the Monster Rally Podcast where we talk about universal horror movies. We just did Bride of Frankenstein which I had never seen before and is often cited as the greatest horror movie ever made or the greatest sequel ever made. Um, you'll have to listen to hear if I agree. And I play in a band called Backyard Superheroes. I build Legos, all sorts of fun stuff. But you can find us um, on wherever you can get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now. Um, please like, rate, and review our show. It just helps us get more, um, more uh, accessibility and, and a bigger platform and more people to see our show. So please help us out there. 
Uh, thanks everybody for giving us those listens already. I'm really excited about the feedback we've gotten. And um, that's all I got, Brian, anything else? That's it. I do want to say, you know, we, we apologize for falling a little bit off schedule just with the crazy weather and life and stuff. I, my, my, my saying I was going to say is it was just life, the universe and everything that was, uh, you know, <laughs> spiraling out of control. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of back into wraps and we're excited to kind of get back on a schedule. So uh, thanks for hanging with us while we've been kind of off our schedule a little bit. And we're looking forward to bringing you some great new content. Should we start a Douglas Adams podcast? I think we talked about this the other day. Like <laughs> I, I would be down for it. Uh, but uh, I, I would be more less successful at a Douglas Adams than I would be at a Harry Potter. Um, but, you know, I, we could give it a shot. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide is my all-time favorite book. So maybe we'll, we'll talk about that one day. We'll talk about uh, – we have some fun shows planned. We're going to talk about our favorite Star Wars books, favorite Star Wars movies. Maybe we'll talk about our favorite non-Star Wars books sometimes. Um, so that'd be fun. But until uh, until next time, uh, we are all the Republic.